Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. We are one church that meets in various locations across Greater Manchester. For more information about who we are and where we meet, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I wonder if you've ever heard this saying, I've heard it said that there's a good and a bad version of everything. There's a good and a bad version of everything. Now, I'm sure you can probably think of exceptions that prove the rule there, but I think by and large it holds true for a lot of different things. There are good and there are bad versions. And what I want to do this morning is make the suggestion to you that the same thing applies to Christianity, that there's a good and a bad version of Christianity. That's my claim. Over these last few weeks, we've been looking at some of the teaching that Jesus did called the Sermon on the Mount, this long block of teaching. And in there, we've seen some beautiful things that he said. We've seen him say, whatever you would want someone to do for you, well, you do that for them. We've seen him say, love even your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. We've heard him say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We've heard him say, judge not lest you be judged. All these things create this beautiful picture of what the kingdom of God could be, of what life could be. And I think of times that I've seen people living out these sayings of Jesus, living out these teachings, and it's inspiring, it's beautiful, it motivates me to want to do the same. It's a good thing. And yet, if we put our hands on our hearts, we'd have to be honest and say, it's not always been the way, has it, that those who take the name of Jesus have lived in that way. I was reading a book a while back about the Crusades. Let's, let's dive in. We're going to go heavy, right? The Crusades. And it told stories from one of the first crusade in 1099. So people uh, under the banner of Christianity went from Europe to the Holy Lands into Jerusalem and massacred people and caused incredible violence. The stories told about uh, in 1099, the Al-Aqsa Mosque was apparently the bit between the mosque and the dome. The, the promenade was just uh, flooding with blood because of the violence done. It's horrible it's horrific. Or maybe you think of the witch trials of the Middle Ages, where uh, over a few hundred years, tens and tens of thousands of women throughout Europe were, were tried and then executed. It's brutal, it's bloody, and it's horrible. You think about stories in our own day, and um, they, they seem to be coming all the time. Maybe you heard the story about um, the evangelist and apologist who was traveling the world, telling people about Jesus, making the case for Christianity. And so loads of people put their faith in Jesus and then died a few years ago. And then following his death, the accusations and the allegations start coming in about um, totally uh, abusive behavior that he'd been committing in massage parlors all around the world as he'd been traveling. Maybe Maybe you caught the story in national newspapers about a spearhead of a major Christian festival with substantiated allegations about abuse of power and control and coercive behaviour and inappropriate behaviour with his male interns. Maybe, maybe you came across a podcast that charted the, the rise and fall of a prominent church from a decade or so ago exploring the harm done, the toxic 
practices, the, the way people were mistreated and the bodies that were left behind the bus of that ministry. Maybe you were flicking through Disney Plus and you came across a documentary exposing the secrets of a different church and the affairs and the cover-ups of abuse that had gone on. Maybe you've seen some of these stories. Maybe you've not. Maybe it's just me because I'm, I'm immersed in this churchy bubble as someone uh, who does the kind of thing I do. But, but I suspect it's not just me. I suspect you've seen these stories too. And if not the same ones that I've just referred to, perhaps you've seen others. Perhaps uh, there are different ones that come to your mind. They seem to be coming thick and fast, don't they? It's like only a few weeks go by and there's another one. All of these examples I've given, they're heartbreaking. And all of them seem to have this banner over them that says Christian. They seem to use the label Christianity, and yet they seem so opposite. They seem so antithetical to everything Jesus taught and everything Jesus did. And I find myself, when I see Stories like this in our day, or read about stories from the past like the ones I've mentioned. I have a question, and my question is this. What the heck is going on? What the heck is going on? So it's with this in mind, it's with some of these kind of stories and that question, like what is happening here, that I want us to turn to our Bible reading today. So we're going to see how Jesus closes out the Sermon on the mount. And just let those kind of things and those questions be ringing in your head as we engage with these words that Jesus uses to finish his sermon. Because I, I think what he says might be quite helpful with us in processing that what the heck is going on question. So we're in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, if you've got a Bible, turn there. If you've got a, an app you want to follow along, or you can follow with me on the screen. And I'm going to read verse 13 through to verse 27. So this is Jesus teaching. And he says this, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many who take it, for the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit it's cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. 
Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was its fall. I wonder what we can draw out from this passage, from these sayings of Jesus. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus ends his sermon here with a whole series of contrasts. He's got lots of stories that uh, there's this and there's that. There's this path or there's this path. There's this kind of prophet or there's this kind of prophet. There's this kind of tree or that kind of tree. There's this house and there's that house. They've got different foundations, different gates, different fruit. He's drawing a contrast between two very different things. And what I used to think is that Jesus was trying to make a contrast between Christian and not Christian. Like, if this is where Christian is, so he said, in here, this is the space, right? You're following me. That's one choice. And the other choice is out here, not Christian. I thought that was the, the sort of dilemma that he was putting between people. Now I'm not so sure. Let me tell you why I'm not sure about that. So first thing is this. The sermon that he's preaching here, he's preaching. Who's he preaching it to? He's preaching it to his disciples. It says right at the start of it, chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak, and he taught them. So these words are not being spoken to a big crowd who some might be following, some might not be. To this group of disciples who said, we're following you, he's teaching them. And we've made this point over and over again as we've been looking at this sermon that this isn't the how to become a Christian guide. This is teaching for those who are following Jesus, who are disciples, who are Christians. And in amongst it, in the passage we read today, he says things like, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly a ravenous wolf. So he's not saying, beware, there's a wolf over there. It's really obviously a wolf. He's saying, beware, there will be wolves in here. Beware, there will be those that you don't even at first glance know they're wolves. They look like sheep. They look like everyone else who's following me, but something isn't right. He's saying, look out within here. In verse 21, he pointed out there'll be those who say, Lord, Lord, who never knew him. There'll be those who talk a good game, who speak like Christians speak, who do the kinds of things that we expect Christians and churches and ministries to do. They'll say, hey, we prophesied in your name and we cast out demons in your name and we did works of great power in your name. He seems to be saying here, there'll be those who wear this label of Christian, who look Christian, who sound Christian, who have impactful ministries, but are not Christian. He seems to be saying that. So my first point this morning is this. Not everything that calls itself Christian is Christian. And not everything that calls itself Christian is Christian. 
And honestly, I found this one of the most profoundly helpful insights, thoughts that has uh, dawned on me over these last few years. This is like, have you heard the same like an aha moment when like, it's just like, yes, eureka, got it. Everything makes a bit more sense now because of this. When I look at these kind of things that Jesus taught, and I come back to how I started that what the heck is going on question, that the, the stories from history, the stories from our day, the things that seem to be calling themselves Christian and don't look like how they should, so, oh, oh, that's this thing. The fact that 2,000 years ago, Jesus called his disciples, gathered them round, and put them on alert because he knew that exactly this would happen. Because he knew that this was going to be the case, that there would be things that at first glance seemed Christian. But you get under the surface and you're like, hang on, hang on. This doesn't look a thing like Jesus, to borrow a line from the killers. <laughs> he seems to be teaching here that there are these two things that grow side by side. One of them's the real deal, and one of them is not. They occupy the same space, but they're totally different in character. And I've come to use the terms for them, the kingdom of God, and the shadow kingdom. That's what I, I, I kind of call them in my mind now. Kingdom of God and shadow kingdom. You might think like the lion king, you know, when uh, the, the dad lion is showing him. And there's this kingdom here. And there's that bit over there, the shadow lands. Only the, the boundaries here are much less clearly defined. It's like they're all kind of inter, uh, like, interwoven and growing together until the end of the age. He tells parables about wheat and weeds growing together, and it's only at the end that they're separated one from the other. But I wanted to draw this out with you today because I think in, in the conversations I've had with lots of people who are in all different places in faith or no faith, that this can be one of the biggest roadblocks today to the faith of so many people. Like when you see Christianity become twisted for something else. When you see it become a tool that props up certain political ideologies and it's like Christianity is like bolted onto something that doesn't look good. That's, that's not it. That's not the thing. And yet it's called Christian and it, it kind of leaves this sour taste and puts you off it. Or when people are taking the word of God and the name of Jesus and just making it uh, a way of boosting their own power and controlling other people or gaining prestige or ripping people off and making profit from people. Or you see hypocrisy of individuals or you hear these awful stories from prominent people. All of that, it's a, a stumbling block, isn't it, for many of us. We see that and we think, oh, if that's Christianity, I'm not sure I want that. I'm not sure I want to be associated with that stuff. That's, that's ugly. That's not good. Maybe you feel like Gandhi. Gandhi said this, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Maybe the people that Gandhi had met might be the same kind of people who Jesus was talking about here in these stories. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. The thing is, when you, when you see these things, if you don't have an understanding, if you don't have a framework in your head for what's going on, then this can totally derail you. 
you, you see it and you don't know what to do with it. You don't know how to understand it. You don't know how to line it up with these beautiful things we see of Jesus. But when you understand that not everything that calls itself Christian is Christian, you, you can say, you can stand up and say, this thing I've seen, this isn't it. This isn't the kingdom of God. This is different. It's not what Jesus is building. That's shadow kingdom stuff, not real kingdom. So we don't have to twist ourselves into somehow saying, oh, that's my team, that is, every time something is attached to the name Christian. There might be things attached to that name that are not Christian at all. And Jesus is very clear what is of him and what isn't. I just want to dive into it a bit more. I want to look into, well, what, what is this shadow kingdom like? What kind of things should we be looking out for? And we, we're just going to move away from this passage into a little bit later in Matthew. Jesus has another chapter where he does another speech where he really unpacks the nature of the shadow kingdom. And he talks about it uh, in relation to some people in his day who are living this way. But it's in Matthew 23. And I'm, I'm not going to read it, but I'm just going to pick out certain bits. But I, I would recommend, if, if you want to follow this up, this is a great chapter to dig into, to read and to study. It starts in, uh, let me just read verse 2 and 3 to set it up. He says, the scribes and the Pharisees, so they're some of the leaders of the day, they sit on Moses' seat, therefore do whatever they teach you and follow it, but do not do as they do, for they do not practice what they teach. So firstly, he said, look, I, I don't actually have a problem with their teaching. The teaching is okay. I, I sometimes have experiences where I've read a book or I've listened to a podcast or watched a video. I've been like, this is brilliant. I've learned loads of stuff from this. And then a year or so later, I'm like, ooh, that person who wrote that book that I read that I thought was brilliant. You know, maybe they weren't so good after all. But I've still benefited from it, and I'm confused. Sometimes I've even recommended the books and sent links to stuff. Do I have to like back away from everything I've learned from them? He said, it's all right, the teaching is good, but don't do what they do. There's some problem here. And then over the chapter, here are some of the things he picks out. In verse 3, he talks about their hypocrisy, how they say one thing, but they're not living it out themselves. Their, their personal lives don't match the good stuff that they're teaching. Verse 4, he speaks about how they're harsh with people. They're always demanding more. They're laying burdens on people's shoulders. Heavy discipleship commitments, heavy serving commitments, heavy giving demands. It's like more, more, more is all they ask of people. Often the things they ask might even be good things, but when there's so much and it drives people into the ground, that's not a good thing. And they don't lay a finger to help. There's no compassion. There's no understanding for the circumstances of the people. It's just, what can I get out of them? In verse 5, he highlights their performative spirituality. So how they're doing these seemingly holy things, but they're only doing it to uh, make a good impression. They're doing it to show off. Hey, look at me. This is how much I gave into the Give Big. Look at me. This is how long I pray every day. They're, they're showing off, and they're not doing it for real. Verses 6 to 12 talk about that uh, desire for celebrity and status. They want to create hierarchy. They want to lift themselves above other people. They revel in the idea of being impressive and having followers. 
In verse 13, it talks about how they gatekeep the kingdom. They keep others at arm's length. It's like, okay, you, you and you are in, but you are out. People like you can't be in the kingdom of God. And so they draw these lines. How often do we see Jesus reach around the lines that other people have drawn to keep people out and bring people into the kingdom? Verse 14 speaks about their financial abuse. They take advantage of vulnerable people in order to line their own pockets. Verse 15 talks about the narrow sectarianism, where their focus is just building on their, their own little tribe. They're, they're saying, well, you've got to be exactly like us. Verse 16 to 22 speaks about their loose relationship with the truth. They had this system, well, if you swear by the altar, you don't have to keep that, but if you swear by the gold on the altar, then you do. They, they made conditions about, yeah, occasionally you might have to tell the truth, but a lot of the time it's fine not to. Things can be spun. Something short of the truth can be presented. Maybe uh, people's voices who would tell inconvenient stories are silenced. Verses 23 and 24 talk about a disproportionate focus on little trivial things while missing the biggies, things like justice and mercy and faith. Verses 25 to 28 talk about their superficiality. They were focused on getting the outward behaviours right, looking good, but they don't go near the heart. I remember when I used to do youth ministry, there were kids there who knew how to play the game. They knew how to present like everything was just going on perfectly. But in their heart, it was a very different story some of the time. Verses 29 to 35 speak of their brutality. It speaks about how they were the types who would shed the blood of the prophets, being harsh and brutal in dealing with people who were inconvenient to their purposes. That is what the shadow kingdom is like. Sadly, we see so many of these things still happening in our day. And I know we've detoured a little bit from the passage we started with, but hopefully it's helpful just to see as Jesus outlines these two paths that he gives this breakdown of, well, this is what the shadow kingdom path, this is what the path not to go on looks like. And so as we see these things happening, we can say that's not it. That's not the kingdom of God. That's not of Jesus. Let's not get confused when we see these things done in the name of Christianity, because that is shadow kingdom. It leaves just as bad a taste in the mouth of Jesus as it will leave in the mouth of you and me. Worse, in fact, for him. We're called to something very different. We're called to the narrow path. We're called to the house with foundations. You could call it the authentic Christian life. So what is this real deal like? Well, one way to think of it might be to think, what are the opposites of all these things we see here? So you could think about sincere integrity, liberating compassion, authentic devotion, humble servanthood, welcoming door opening rather than gatekeeping, faithful stewardship, kingdom vision, transparent truth-telling, kingdom priorities, heart transformation, gentle kindness. And don't you think these are exactly the qualities that time and again this term we've seen Jesus teaching in this Sermon on the Mount? So let's jump back into Matthew 7. Because ultimately this question lands with each one of us. It's not just uh, understanding what's going on out there, although I think it's very important that we do understand what's going on out there. But also it's a question to think about for our own hearts. Which of these two paths 
am I talking? How am I living? So what does it look like? Well, it's about doing the will of the Father. In verse 16, Jesus talks about fruit. He says, you will know them by their fruits. In verse 20, he says the same thing. There will be things evident in your life that will show which of the paths you're on. In verse 21, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. So what's the fruit he's asking us to bear? Well, it's doing the will of the Father. It's practicing what we preach. It's living out this faith. Not just saying, hey, I'm Christian, but living out the will of God. And in verse 24, he makes it more explicit. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rocks. It's listening to these words that Jesus is teaching, but not letting them just kind of go in your ears and then lodge in your brain, but letting them be worked through into what you do. So think about what he's taught in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been on this journey. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's a call to humility. There's a call to be like salt and light in the world. So show something of God wherever you go. Preserve it. Bring a moral quality everywhere. He's spoken about the way we handle our anger. Don't just get caught up in fits of rage and hatred towards other people. He's talked about not being just consumed by lust. He's talked about not seeing our relationships or marriages as just disposable and throwaway. He's talked about having a good relationship with the truth, meaning what we say. He's spoken about not retaliating when others do us wrong, not hating on even our enemies, but loving them. He's talked about the spiritual life, things like giving to the poor and praying and fasting. He's saying, do them for real, not just for show. Do them in private. Do them to meet with God. He's talked about not becoming obsessed with a greed and a desire for more money. He's talked about not being so uh, caught up with anxiety and worry about tomorrow that we can't pursue the kingdom here and now today. He's talked about not judging other people. He's talked about going to God in prayer for our needs. And he's talked about loving our neighbour as ourselves. The one who hears these words and does them will be like the wise builder. So it's doing the will of the Father and it's doing it in relationship with the Father. It's not just a checklist of do this, do this, do this. We saw at the start of the sermon those beatitudes, those promises. The promises were things like they will see God. They will be children of God. They're relational words. In the middle of the sermon, the prayer that he taught, our Father in heaven, it's a relational prayer. And here near the end, in the verses we read, verse 23, to those who say, Lord, Lord, but do not do the will of the Father, he, he will declare to them, I never knew you. That's relational. Do it in relationship to God. Kinnaman and Matlock did uh, some statistical surveys uh, about young people who grew up in the church. And the question they asked is, what is it that makes those young people who grow in the church actually stick around when they're adults? Uh, and he found that the thing that correlated most closely with it was intimacy in their relationship with God. Those who knew God and had this relationship with him stuck around. But if you don't have that, then what is there to, to stick around for? That's when it so easily becomes either twisted into something like the shadow kingdom or just walking away altogether. 
So it's doing the will of the Father, doing it in relationship with the Father. And the, the expectation isn't that we're perfect. That's not what he's saying here. In fact, acting on these words that, um, that he said, they include words like, blessed are the poor in spirit. That means I know I've got it not all together. I know I'm flawed. I know I need help. If you come into it, I'm bossing this. That's not poor in spirit. Part of the words he's saying act is, pray to God, forgive us our sins. That's an acknowledgement, right, that we sin. I'm always really wary when I preach this kind of a sermon. And one of the reasons I'm wary is so many people have really tender consciences. And so we'll hear things like this and we'll feel beaten up, we'll feel condemned, we'll feel like, is this getting at me? If your walk with God is sincere, if you're trying your best to put into practice the teachings of Jesus, you're hearing it, you're wanting to do it, and you stumble along the way, and you don't always get it right, but, but when you make a mistake, you come back to him, and you ask for forgiveness, and you're trying your best to walk with him. Then you're on the narrow path. That's the path that he calls his followers to. But if you know it's something else, if you know that for you, faith is just a veneer, it's a, it's a label you put over things, but really your heart's a long way from him. Really, you're about building something else, you're about doing something else. You're living with an outward that looks good, but you know your heart isn't his. Then there's some serious reflecting to do in light of what Jesus says here. I've probably told you this story before. Years ago, I was 20 years old, and I was on a bus. It was a National Express coach. And it was down to a summer festival. I'd been a Christian a few months. And at this summer festival, uh, I'd said I would get baptised there. And a friend of mine was going to get baptised as well. Uh, And I was on my way there. Uh, I was reading my Bible on the the bus. I remember God speaking to me. And uh, of all things, he spoke to me through the page number. Um, And uh, I can't remember what the number was, but it was double digits. And months earlier, when I'd become a Christian, I'd started at Genesis, and I wasn't very far into the Bible. I just had this moment of like, why aren't I devouring this the same way I devour other books? You know, I'm I'm a reader, I love reading, but why haven't I been doing it here? And that led on to a few other thoughts. Why haven't I really developed a prayer life? Why haven't I changed any of the habits in my life? Why haven't I put any of this into practice? Is is Christianity just a label for me? Or is it something that I'm going to let sink all the way down? And I remember making a choice that moment and saying, God, I want to do this. And I want to do it for real. And that's a choice I've had to make a lot of times since. It wasn't, I made it when I was 20 and it's like sorted, but there have been plenty of times that that's been highlighted for me again. You know, you get distracted, you drift, different things come up. And I've had these moments before God where he's just laid on me this sense of, Tom, I'm asking you again, do you want to commit? Do you want to be all in? Do you want to do this for real? Do you want it to go all the way down? And time and again, I've had to come back to God and say, yes, yes, yes. I just want to read again the first two verses of our passage today. Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are few who find it.
for listening. To explore this sermon or learn more about our church, please navigate to the links provided in this podcast description. From there, you can connect with us on social media and you're welcome to check out the music links featured in this episode. From our very own musicians. You can also discover current events and information about where we meet on Sundays and various groups or community projects that you can join in with. If you're interested in knowing more about us or wish to join us for one of our meetings, please reach out. Simply drop us an email at hello at ccm.org.uk. We look forward to connecting with you.